All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is an odd one. It is two oh three point five point one. You got to do something to keep those files in order. Uh, Jason Lingren's with me, and Doctor Andrew Kaufman was gracious enough on very short notice to come back and offer a few more sane thoughts. So, how about we put all the fearful children to bed? So the adults, if there are any remaining in our world, can have a calm, sane conversation. Welcome, Jason. Well, hello, Crow. And, uh, oh, boy. Yeah, you think? um, Ridiculous, ridiculous. The overreach is starting to be seen. The memes are flying that, what was it, Dean Kuntz, everyone's already identified that in 1981, Stephen Kuntz had the eyes of darkness pre-echoing all the fearful nonsense in our world, as is usual. But... There's going to be two versions of this. I'm going to run everything Dr. Kaufman says everywhere for free because it's important to get out and there's no risk. So that's going to happen. In the member section of Crow 777 Radio, uh, we're going to add more audio and there will be some closing thoughts about all the nonsense that's got on. By the way, happy Friday the 13th. Hint, hint, hint. So, Jason, is there anything you want to add in? I'm just going to say a couple things. We're going to wrap up. We're going to get this out as quickly as we can so that we can get it out on Friday the 13th. Yes. I will just say thank you to Dr. Kaufman for giving us some time on the fly like that. That's awesome of him because he cares, man. I really like this guy. He seems like a really, really good dude. And he just wants to make sure that the things he has to say that he feels are very important. He wants to get it out there. Yeah, you're not going to find a more educated man, non, no-nonsense, caring individual who gives a damn uh, about the health of human beings. You're not going to do better than that in this world right now. But I hate to use a cliche, uh, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Uh, when I was young, there was this hoopla about America being the home of the free of the brave. What I've seen over the last few days makes us neither, makes us basically the home of the cowards and the fearful. It's ridiculous the level of fear that grown human beings were incited into participating in. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, this this episode will sum up what's going on. But, I mean, come on, man. Uh, how many of you guys are with me out there? But I, I guess I'll just shut my mouth and we'll get into this. So here is episode, uh, actually, it's less than an hour. And again, it will run everywhere except the members version. We'll have additional closing thoughts that Jason and I have put together for members. So here is something around a half an hour of episode 203.5.1. There's a mouthful. There it is. Let's jump in. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. Due to popular demand and so much common sense appreciated in our upside down, topsy turvy, fear porn driven world, we have Jason and I uh, have asked Dr. Kaufman back to cover some no nonsense, truthful things that will hopefully remove the really the only problem that is driving the nonsense in our world. And that problem is called fear. Matter of fact, you might even call it cowardice but I'll try not to be so blunt. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. All right, we've got limited time, so I'm just going to jump in. Welcome, Dr. Kaufman. Thank you. Thanks for so much for having me back. So it's not very often we have people back-to-back so quickly, um, but uh, the overwhelming response to the kind of common sense, no-nonsense information you added last time went a long ways. I can't tell you how many emails I got from people who have calmed down and are taking things in stride and beginning to get their adult minds back and understand that what's going on here is basically an information barrage that is scaring the living you-know-what out of the population. Having said that, 
why don't we jump in? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you two questions. I know you've got some fantastic information on contagion, which is no nonsense. But just let me ask you a couple questions to open. There's a thing supposedly called a virus. Has a virus ever been shown to cause disease in any human being? Uh, no, it has not. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite a thing. It's, uh, it, it took me uh, by quite a surprise when I first um, uh, looked into this, to be honest with you. It goes against uh, you know, everything that I've uh, taught, uh, been taught, uh, believed, uh, thought was true for um, you know, almost all my life. You know, it's kind of like when you're a kid and they tell you Batman's real and then some point you grow up to the point where you realize he's not and you're all, holy smokes, I can't believe Batman's not real. No, I'm actually being facetious when I shouldn't be, probably. <laughs> well, um, you're right, but I was more skeptical of those uh, childhood myths, you know, like Santa Claus, uh, than I was about uh, viruses, for sure. So that brings us to germ theory real quick. And we covered both of these things in the other episode, but I think it's important to put these no-nonsense I guess what I would call provable information sources out to the world, uh, germ theory. Germ theory is driven so much, and as I mentioned in a recent episode, I always remembered a movie when I was a child about these people going out into a jungle and meeting some primitive tribe and trying to get them to use soap, informing them there's these little living things called germs, and they'll kill you if you don't wash them off your hands. And the so-called primitive tribe walked away saying, man, those white people are crazy. <laughs> they could not convince them that there was these little things living all over their hands that could be a danger because they'd lived a whole lifetime never having thought one iota about that. So is germ theory factual, solid, proven science? Well, uh, it wouldn't be called germ theory if it was uh, if it was factual science, but it certainly is treated as if it were a scientific law. But actually, germ theory has really been disproven by uh, additional experiments um, uh, initially performed by Antoine Becham. And then there have been several scientists following that line of research, uh, including Enderlein and uh, Gaston Naissons, uh, who have, have done additional experiments uh, showing that that's not the case. So what germ theory says is that there is a, a noxious, infectious agent that comes from outside the body. Uh, ostensibly a microorganism of some kind, a bacteria, a fungus, etc. And that this uh, invades the body uh, by some route and causes uh, disease. But further uh, research, uh, because there was some initial evidence to that, because they did experiments that showed that fermentation uh, can take place uh, when air is added uh, to the mixture of plant material that could be fermented. And so that was the initial basis. But there were further experiments showing that that fermentation and or putrefaction, which is the breakdown of animal flesh by microorganisms, can take place in an environment where no outside uh, uh, pathogens or microbes, uh, microorganisms were added uh, to the mix. And then further uh, beyond that, it's been observed that bacteria and fungi actually originate in our own cells. So you can look under uh, a, a special type of microscopy called dark field microscopy, where you can look at a living specimen and you can take your uh, a blood sample and look at red blood cells uh, under this dark field microscope. And I, I've seen images and videos of this. And you actually see these little specks of light inside the red blood cells. And these are uh, called by various names. Uh, Microzyma was the name that uh, Basham chose. And then uh, subsequently, they've been called protids or somatids. And when certain conditions exist, 
in the organism uh, such that there may be tissue damage or disease, uh, these uh, proteids bud out of the red blood cells and go through this uh, life cycle where they develop into different um, organisms that we would recognize as common bacteria and fungi. And this uh, illustrates an important property of the microorganisms that's going to be relevant to some other things we may talked about called uh, pleomorphism. Uh, that comes from pleo meaning many and morphism referring to shape, that the microorganisms can change their shape and form uh, throughout the development cycle. And even once they're in the final differentiated form, like that we would call, you know, like staphylococcus or streptococcus, um, even then they are capable of undergoing uh, changes. Like this, uh, this occurs, for example, when they're exposed to antibiotics. Well, antibiotics, we've covered recently that it means against life. Um, and a lot of people are beginning to question antibiotics. But the truth of it is, is, if you have a terrible infection, everybody knows the antibiotics will certainly knock it out. But people are starting to understand that it doesn't just knock out the infection, but a lot of beneficial things that reside in your body. But to get back to your point, is there anything more you would add or express about the thought you were completing there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to say how this um, these experimental findings uh, did uh, offer another theory of disease that is, uh, I think, much more accurate and fits with much more of this experimental data called terrain theory. And what that actually says is that the, that the disease um, occurs by some other mechanism uh, that damages the tissue. Um, and I can talk about uh, things like, for example, a toxic exposure could be a cause of that. And once the uh, damage is detected and there's and is halted, then there's basically this uh, recovery and healing phase. And that's when the bacteria gets called in to clean up the damaged tissue. And this process is when there's also inflammation. There's lots of uh, fluid accumulation. There's swelling in the area of illness. And uh, there's secretion of various fluids out the body, right? Uh, all the, the dripping out of your nose and et cetera. Uh, so all the symptoms occur actually during the healing phase. So if you give the antibiotics, which will you know wipe out all the bacteria, not just the ones at the at the site of healing, but also the ones that are doing their normal uh, function around your body, um, and they're they're not just in the gut; they're they're pretty much everywhere in your body. It will reduce the symptoms because um, the now the bacteria is not secreting uh, different chemicals that would. Uh, increase the inflammation and all um, cause all of the symptoms. So the symptoms go away, but but you actually disrupted the healing process. So the healing of the tissue is incomplete now, and that puts you at risk for uh, further disease at that at that side of your body. And that's what we see quite often, you know, in young children that have recurrent um, ear infections or strep throat, et cetera. So I think if I understood all that, what you're suggesting is if you have something like strep throat and you opt to go for the antibiotics, it'll almost certainly knock out the infection. But the healing that occurs on the tail of that has been, what's the right word, impeded to some degree because it hasn't just knocked out whatever was causing the issue, but it's knocked out all these other things that play a role. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know all of the processes that are going on to fully repair that tissue so that uh, it functions as, as new uh, is not complete because uh, the bacteria are key to to carry out that process. So this will lead us in nicely um, to at least one more topic um, because we're trying to get these out as quickly as we can to maybe introduce a little sanity into a world gone crazy. 
um, Contagion, and you've got some very interesting things to say on Contagion. But before we jump in, Jason and I just completed one of the longest shows we've ever done covering Bernays, a man who may have changed Western culture more than any other man we've looked at. Um, it was Bernays who took what used to be called the communal drinking cup at the water fountain and convinced everyone that that was unsanitary and that you could get sick. And he did it for a company called Dixie Cups. And as we were doing it, um, Jason and I were realizing we're looking at the foundation that is driving the fear porn that's got everyone crazy right now. Um, that somehow another human being isn't a human being. They're a threat. I can't touch them. I can't go near them. They'll get me sick and I'll die kind of nonsense, which first of all, from a common sense standpoint, can't be possibly true because human beings have been interacting as long as they've been here. So if we're killing each other from contact, it's a safe bet there wouldn't be human beings here. But the real point is, is when you look at the draconian measures, which are designed to do nothing more than exert control and remove rights, like the right to gather, which in the United States we have, um, they're saying ridiculous things like, you can only gather up to 250, but 251, that's a bridge too far. That's dangerous. Someone, you know, it, it's just the logic in it is completely non-existent. But having had my little spiel there, um, let's jump into the contagion thing. Because before we began recording, some of the no-nonsense things you were bringing to the fore about contagion, people need to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're really right because social separation seems to be the big push that we're all feeling pressured into. And it's intimately related to this idea that we're dangerous to each other, that we pass these infectious agents to each other. And I'll tell you, you know, I've had a lot of discussions about this with, you know, a lot of open-minded people. And one of the one of the big things that is really difficult, I think, for people to overcome is that even though this theory uh, is not correct, it does provide significant explanatory power. And, you know, that's very powerful because it, it confirms our, our belief system because we, you know, underlying we have this belief of the cause of, of disease and then built upon that we've observed these actual things because, you know, we've seen people uh, get sick by contagion and it's a nice explanation to to think that they just you know passed this uh, bug uh, from one person to another it's a it's it's a, a very elegant explanation but just because it has explanatory power does not prove the theory and that's really really important because you know you i could come up with a magical theory about disease uh, that could also have explanatory power, but it would just be based from my imagination and not, you know, not from experimental findings. So I got to thinking about contagion and I realized that there are many things that are contagious that no one thinks are related to infections or, or microorganisms. And um, some of these things are kind of directly related to my psychiatry background because uh, suicide is actually one of these things. So there have been outbreaks uh, that have been studied and uh, characterized uh, of suicide being contagious. Um, we all know about some simple things like yawns, uh, laughter, even vomiting, right? Uh, the poor school teacher who had a epidemic of vomiting in their classroom uh, was uh, experiencing quite a nightmare. Um, ideas in, you know, in large crowds, uh, feelings so like emotional expression can spread like wildfire. And, and there may even be, you know, um, 
re, uh, reasons that would be protective because this might be a way to pass information that might be crucial to survival uh, between people. So we have all of these ways that things, uh, various different biological functions and, and behaviors can uh, be contagious to each other. And this is uh, actually, there's a whole area of social science uh, research about this. So I found this uh, really nice um, uh, article from uh, Stanford University uh, where they kind of reviewed the social science research. And uh, they, they even came up with uh, six categories of non-infectious, uh, contagious uh, behaviors. So what we're saying here is we could almost view what you're going to go across that proving the contagion you're going to point out actually occurs, but we might describe it as sympathetic. In other words, it's not someone touching someone or sharing a jacket that gets the so-called contagion we're going to describe to happen or the, the Passover from one to another. It's more maybe sympathetic. Would that be a good way to describe it? Yeah, well, you know, there there is actually a theory um, that's based on that, uh, that there is some kind of, you know, like empathic uh, connection that we have to people that this could be mediated. But actually, you know, all of the research that's been done, they've never found the mechanism. So it it's essentially unknown um, at this time. But, you know, they haven't looked uh, outside the box and some of the things that, that we might think of, like... Um, I, uh, this is not my original idea. I've heard other people talk about this, but it certainly makes sense that, you know, our bodies are constantly radiating uh, electromagnetic uh, signals. And perhaps if we uh, are in a disease state, we may have a specific resonance frequency that we put out and the people in our proximity could receive that frequency and it could then instruct their body to undergo the disease program. Let me jump in because I'll just reinforce the new cutting-edge German research and the other guests that we've had on that have been trained in Ayurvedic medicine, uh, Asian or Eastern or Chinese medicine, whatever the proper way to say that is, and they address that idea of the electromagnetic field that's around everyone, and they reclassified that a virus does not exist as described, that it's electromagnetic. And they added the word vampirism to kind of insinuate that what's going on is your energy has been sucking away. But at the base of the electromagnetic as the cause of something like the flu, maybe, was that your field has gone to a lowered state, which in fact attracts in uh, the thing that ends up making you feel bad. Uh, so I just wanted to put all that out. And I don't know how well I described that, but I'm reasonably sure people can still go look up these ideas. But the problem is we were under the impression this was about to be published and it appears that it was not published. Interesting. You know, this also reminds me of uh, biofield tuning, which is uh, an area of uh, medicine that um, uh, where they use tuning forks and around the the body, like in proximity, there's a field that basically puts out some kind of acoustic signal. And by vibrating a tuning fork in this field, people who are practiced at this can actually detect um, when the frequency is out of tune. Um, and then they can manipulate the field somehow to correct that. So, so there, is, there, there is real uh, physical findings uh, related to this. It's not you know, just a wild theory. These things are not new either, and I'll point out another thing. You know, people always, like in the Middle East, a lot of the men uh, wear things that are more like robes. Um, come to find out in some of the research I've done, uh, in the old spiritual concerns of that part of the world, it was stated that you have an electromagnetic field and you don't want to wear anything tight on your body or it spiritually inhibits you. 
So like hmm. think of the 1800s, women in corsets would be violating that rule. Socks or shoes that are too tight, a man with a belt or even pants that are snug. Um, so these ideas have been around a long time and I don't poo-poo them. I take them seriously, uh, particularly anything to do with the electromagnetic ideas. Right. Well, I, I think also that um, it might make sense to talk a little bit about Royal Rife um, in this context. Um, okay. I, I'd wanted to mention some things about him last time because, uh, you know, he's sort of uh, known as uh, perhaps the the Tesla of medicine, and he had a very important part to play in in the disproving of germ theory because he developed an extremely powerful uh, microscope. It was something like uh, thirty thousand times higher magnification than the best. Uh, microscope available at the time. And unfortunately, this this technology has been lost, which is why it's been very, very difficult to use a rife machine to heal illness. But let me explain what he, what he actually did, because uh, it, it, it really fits in with this. So he would have someone who was ill, and you know he's most famous for being able to uh, cure people with cancer, but he worked with all other illnesses as well. And what he did is, so he would look at their blood under this very powerful microscope, and he would see the evidence that those somatids were budding out of the cells because there was a disease state that they were responding to. And what he would do is he would be able to, um, by observation and um, by pinging them with different frequencies, he would be able to calculate the frequency that those uh, microorganisms are vibrating at. And that would be basically the frequency of the disease. And then he would apply radiation to the patient in that same frequency. So using electromagnetic radiation, and that would knock out the disease process. So it's almost like you're bringing, uh, it's like putting a pitchfork next to a pitchfork, ringing one, the other one begins to ring. If you knew the frequency, you could control it in some way, but I I'm all Ex about this. Exactly. So yeah. if, this, if this type of change in frequency with the disease state was able to be detected by other people in proximity to the, to the diseased person, that could be the mechanism of contagion. You know, I've said for a long time that I truly suspect the loss of the art of cymatics, which is basically just for layman speaking, the, how everything vibrates and uh, relating it to sound to some degree. Uh, so many things, it, it's, I think, it appears so many things were possible when cymatics was better known. And now we can't even get a map of all the frequencies. The best you can do is Kaladni which is very low-level drawings, and it's not a very complete map. And when you go to try to look it up, uh, you discover. And yet we can go to these old cathedrals and other things and see cymatic patterns put carved right into stone, telling us that these were important ideas, and this is exactly what you're talking about. But with the limited amount of time we've got left, what can we say to help try to alleviate some of the nonsensical fear <laughs> that is about to crash our economy and evaporate all the rights of societies based on nonsense. Can you think right. of anything that's important to mention here? Well, uh, you know, one one thing I think in order to, to maintain some rationality, uh, you know, I try to use this this test and I've seen some people like post things on social media like this and uh, it really does work. Just ask yourself, you know, do I know anyone who is ill right now? And do I know anyone who has died? And, you know, if something is really so dangerous, it, it's going to affect your world. If it's not part of your world yet, then 
it's hard to say how, <laughs> how real something is. <laughs> well, what's funny is uh, we're Jason and I are aware of an individual who's probably got over half a million, maybe a quarter of a million, half a million followers. And uh, he put out the statement, oh, someone died. Can you tell me their name? I know five people that died of this, that, or the other thing. Can you give me a single name of a person who's died from this? But let's just make one final point. It has been calculated that every day when all us human beings walk out our front door, there is roughly a 1% chance that we might die that day. Even if we took all the false news reporting as true and calculated out the level of death attributed to those false news reports, it would be 0.03 or something like that. In other words, a very small fraction of the 1% risk we take every day. And there's no way to substantiate or prove as real what this is based on in the first place. So how is it that if we take a larger risk than what's supposedly going on in the world just by walking out our door, universities, schools, business, well, basically everything that matters is going to be closed. Disneyland is closed, of course. Of course, poor Tom Hanks is down there in Australia uh, <laughs> dying of Corona, that poor man. And Disney World just closed. But my point here is everybody knows this is going to crash the economy to some level. And it is all based on a thing that is completely and utterly indefensible. And the thing that is allowing it to occur is human fear. One of these things is provably not true. One of these things is provably true. The thing that is provably true is the level of childlike fear that has permeated the world mind. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up here, Dr. Kaufman? Well, I, you know, I, I totally agree. And um, I think I would definitely recommend for uh, people to think about that fear and is, is there really cause for it? And, uh, you know, I would encourage people to, to tune out from all the sensational fear porn uh, that seems to be pervasive. Because, uh, you know, even I am susceptible to that. I, I, uh, I, I looked at a, at a page on the web like this and, um, you know, just reading a couple of sentences, my heart started palpitating. And, uh, you know, so I realized that I turned it off and then I looked for confirmatory information and I found what I found was uh, that there was no no cause for concern. So what we're basically looking at here in closing is the biggest coup d'etat that has ever been attempted from my point of view. What you're seeing is the fact that I don't know if you want to call it war, maybe coup d'etat is a better word, has traded in bombs and bullets for information in the digital age. So what's going on here. Rights are going to evaporate, economies are going to crash, and there is not a shred of adult calculation that can be made to show that there was a reason to have done it. And what we can show is endless fear porn, endless media, endless movies, all ratcheting up fear. But Dr. Kaufman, I want to thank you so much for coming back on and offering a little sanity to a world. And before I let you say bye and tell people where they can find you. And by the way, people have been trying to find you. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I, I will. Yeah, I bet you do. Uh, my server crashed three times. Um, I will offer this. Everybody listening, you're going to be fine today. The vast majority of us going to be fine tomorrow. The vast, vast majority of us going to be fine the day after that. Dr. Kaufman, what would you like to offer up in terms of contact information and in closing? Yes, uh, and thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, really um, an honor for me to be here.
people uh, can reach me uh, through my email, and I'm going to spell it out this time. It's Dr. Andy Kaufman at protonmail.com. That's D R A N D Y K A U F as in Frank, M A N at protonmail.com. And please uh, check out my YouTube channel, which is just in my name, Andrew Kaufman. I hope everybody uh, can get in touch with me who wants to. All right, man. I'm digging the proton mail there. Good for you, man. <laughs> Anyhow, you. I, I got to thank you one more time in this kind of hyper freaked out world that's going on around us right now. It's much ado about nothing, but for you to make time back to back for us. And the first time, you know, it takes three, sometimes close to four hours to do a full episode. So for you to do this, and by the way, I sent an email last night and then another this morning <laughs> saying, doctor, can you do this? So it was very short notice. Anyhow, I know certainly Jason has a bunch of things he's got to deal with. Uh, Jason, anything you want to get in or are you ready to wrap? No, I'm good, man. Let's wrap her up. All right. There it is. I don't know what the episode number is, but when we post it, there will be a number attributed. Uh, I want to wish all the best to everybody. And there is no absolute zero reason for fear. What's going to happen to the economy? That's going to suck. But all the rest of it, no reason to fear. Cheers.